a lot of times it takes companies to get to a pretty painful place before they go, yeah, we're willing to try this listening thing. Welcome to the Innovation Engine Podcast. Since 2014, we've been bringing you conversations with some of the world's leading authorities on innovation. Topics we cover include technology, culture, leadership, and more. Coming to you from the Three Pillar Global Studio in Fairfax, Virginia, I'm your host, Will Sherlin. Welcome back to the Innovation Engine Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be talking about the power of listening with Bob London. Among the topics we'll discuss are why listening is such a powerful tool in a world that won't stop talking, key questions you should ask when you get the opportunity to talk to customers, and why one man thinks you should, metaphorically at least, burn the whiteboard and get out there and talk to people. Joining me today to talk about those topics and more is Bob London. Bob is a pioneer in the marketing world, having created the outsourced chief marketing officer concept more than a decade ago. Bob has worked with, advised, and mentored hundreds of businesses to develop marketing strategies by first learning the customer's true perspective. He serves as an entrepreneur in residence at the University of Maryland's Dingman Center for Entrepreneurship and is an international mentor at 1776, the global startup incubator. Bob is a frequent speaker and writer on topics related to his passion, the incredibly valuable insights that come from something shockingly simple, listening to the customer. Welcome to the podcast and to the studio, Bob. I'm sorry, I wasn't listening well. What were you saying? (laughs) (laughs) That's a standard joke. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We're we're thrilled to have you here uh, in person, no less. Yes. Uh, so, So to kick things off today, let's talk about the lost art of listening. This is a podcast after all. Yes. Why is listening such an important tool in any business leader's bag today? So a couple things, and this is based on my experience over the last six years or so. I, uh, when I became kind of a reformed marketer and uh, someone who recognized that the best marketing strategy came from listening first. And so there are a couple things. First of all, we don't, as business owners or CEOs or executives, sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And I know that's a cliche, but one of the, the antidotes to learning what you don't know is by asking the right kind of open-ended questions um, of your customers and prospects. Sometimes it's customers that you deals you lost. You call them up and say, you know, can we just chat? And asking questions and the, the right questions in the right way yields a lot of insight. Um, it it's stunning to me how many times um, I'm involved with a company that uh, thinks one thing. Uh, now, to their credit, they're curious about whether they're correct. And then we go out into the market and the, the market says something very different. That's kind of the essence of it. I guess the other asterisk is when you go out and do this kind of, you know, whether it's a listening tour or just, you know, talking to one or two customers, you know, it's different. In other words, everyone's out there trying to make some noise and get noticed. And that's this sort of mutually assured destruction aspect of marketing that we can't all get our message across and each tweet, each new email, each phone call that we get, that companies make 
is another brick in the wall of noise. And there's on the other side of that wall, there's the customer. Listening is actually a way to disarm people to say, no, no, I'm, I don't want to talk about what we do. I want to find out more about you. So those are probably the biggest, uh, most powerful aspects of listening. Sure. So I think it's safe to say that anyone who's listening to this podcast has heard of the elevator pitch. You're big on uncovering something that you call the elevator rant. What is an elevator rant? And beyond listening, how do you recommend that people find out what their customer's elevator rant or rants are? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> the elevator pitch is can be a very important and effective tool. I'm just not a believer in my, in, in my experience, uh, based on my experience. I don't believe that someone, uh, an expert or a consultant or someone or someone inside the company says, we need an elevator pitch. We need a better elevator pitch. What does that mean? It means that someone maybe in marketing or in product management is going to write down a little mini script and then that gets distributed around the company. Everybody gets it, whether you're in HR or sales or marketing. And when you're at a quote-unquote cocktail party, you get to recite this script. And of course, it sounds very forced and you know, kind of hollow. And I really rejected the idea that people should focus so much on the elevator pitch before they understood what I called, jokingly at first, the elevator rant. That's the thing that your target audience is complaining about on the elevator when you're not around. So they talk about it um, in real raw language to each other. Uh, in other words, peer-to-peer. -peer. They're talking about it before they met with you, meet with you or after they just met with you, or they're just talking about it at a conference. It's the real stuff that they're saying. And eventually that tongue-in-cheek expression of the elevator rant turned into something that actually was a, uh, it was a, sort of a, a series of insights. Like we, they will actually reveal customers and prospects if you ask them again, right questions in the right way and listen. You will pick up things that they haven't shared with other vendors because you have, those other vendors haven't asked the right questions. So the elevator rant is the thing that, and I want to just clarify, it doesn't always have to be a rant that's a negative, but it's the, I wish we could, or why is it so hard to do this? So that's, that's the concept. And once you have that, then you use it to preface your pitch. So in other words, if I said to you, I'm a marketing consultant, you might say, okay. But if I start out by saying, you know how a lot of consultants and companies say they can help you cut through the noise? And you might say, yeah. And I'll say, well, a lot of times you, you may notice that after six months, you've ended up just kind of contributing to the noise. I'm the type of consultant that insists that my companies, my clients listen first to the market or help. I'll help them listen. And then we can craft um, the value proposition messaging around that. And people go, oh, okay, I get it. So it's listening as a means to the end of doing better positioning and differentiation and messaging. So if you preface the pitch with the rant, um, it's just a lot more engaging. It's a lot more, it's less generic, less hollow, more informative. Yeah. So you help, you help people and companies be flies on the wall in their target organizations or target customer organizations. I yeah, guess. I guess that's a good way to put it. Sometimes I'm the hired fly on the wall, <laughs> uh, but sometimes I coach them to do it and yeah. they're very effective. At least the, the folks I've worked with are very effective at listening without going back to their own persona and interjecting and steering the conversation back to some sort of pitch. So that's yeah. the key. Okay. So there's a famous quote attributed to Henry Ford that he never actually said, but it goes a little something like this, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. And if I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. 
So whether he said it or not, I think the spirit behind it makes sense and that the customer may not always be able to accurately voice the problems they're having. How do you recommend leaders balance what they're hearing from customers with the need to see around the corner and maybe envision what those customers will need without them being able to verbalize it? Right. The key there is, and I, I actually talk about that Henry Ford quote, or I guess maybe it's a mystery quote, that he, you're saying he didn't actually say it, which I, I believe, that it really is up to us as leaders to hear what's important and be able to prioritize and synthesize and interpret. So he heard, let's say he heard people saying, asking for a faster horse. He wasn't in the faster horse business or he decided, you know, maybe they didn't have uh, steroids back then that whatever they give <laughs> horses to make them faster. He said, uh, but I have this other thing that I've, I've seen that looks like a big opportunity, the, the combustion engine, the car, the assembly line, all that. So I do get this question a lot like, oh, so Bob, you're telling us whatever our customers say, we should just do that. Absolutely not. We have to be, I was going to say masters of our domain in the sense that when we hear something, we say, we don't filter it out by saying we could never do that. But what we say is, oh, well, what are they really telling us? What are they really telling us? And sometimes that can be solved during the conversation with a customer or prospect by saying, tell me what you mean by that. It's an interesting example, but I bought a car and I noticed that, so it happens to be a convertible. I guess I'm having my midlife crisis. And in the seat near the headrest, there's a vent. And I didn't really notice it. I didn't really think about it at first, but then I was sniffing around in the owner's manual. So the vent is actually, <laughs> it's it's called an air scarf or a heat scarf. Wow, okay? that's, that's fancy. Well, I'm not trying to show off. I mean, it's... <laughs> uh, but but the, the point is, and I haven't used it, but the point is that I, I thought, oh, I wonder what people said to that car manufacturer during their research to make them come up with this thing called a heat scarf, which blows warm air on you when the top is down in this car. And I, I traced it back to someone must have said, you know, if I had to guess, you know, I, I, will, I like the idea of having convertible, but I live in an area like Pennsylvania where it's cold a lot of the time. You know, so I'm just not going to get a lot of use out of it. So the idea is, well, if you want to really enjoy the car more, we'll give you a way to control the climate more inside the car when it's when the when the top's down. So I I think that's kind of the gist of it. If someone says um, I want to use the car more, I'm not buying a convertible because of I don't think I'm going to use it that much. The top, then you, they're not telling you to build an air scarf or a heat scarf. You you have to interpret that and be clever. And understand, um, or even go back to them and say, well, what do you mean? Well, why can't you have the, ask an obvious question. Why can't you have the top down in October in Pennsylvania? Well, because it's cold. Okay, well, when you say cold, do you ever think of putting on more clothes when you're dry? Yeah, but that's annoying, you know? So you just get into their head a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then, you, but then it is our job as leaders to interpret and understand that. So I have two points there. One is you can get a lot of direction out of the conversations by asking these open-ended questions and continuing to pursue what they said instead of moving on to the next question or topic, number one. But number two, we're all supposed to be experts in what we do for a living. So it doesn't matter if you're a professional services firm or a product company, you're hearing them and saying, ah, I think this is what they really mean. And then create something conceptually or like what you guys do in your, I think you, Three Pillar has a stage called Innovate, or, or something along those lines where it's a proof, you'll build a proof of concept for mm -hmm. a company and help them test it yep. in front of an audience. I mean, that's that's exactly what needs to happen. So you guys are actually built that into a product or service, if you will, uh, to help address this exact issue. 
Not yeah. to, you can't build a heat scarf, I assume, here, but <laughs> if it's a software product. I'm sure you can help companies. We can do a lot. We have not built heat scarves yet, but you know, never, never say never. It harkens back or reminds me of an episode. I had a guy named um, Golden Krishna on, and he talked about the plague of the phrase, there is an app for that. You know, once mobile came along, everybody just went technology crazy and they built apps for everything. And so the the example that he that he put forward in his book wasn't actually app related, but it was a wireless key entry to a Mercedes. They they built something that took like twelve steps for you to open the door of your car, whereas previously if you just had the hard the, the hard key, you put it in, turned it, pulled the handle, and it's open, right? And and that reminds me a little bit of the air scarf. But I guess we're at a point where everything has been done. It's like what's novel these days? Uh, yeah, I mean. As I thought about it some more, I thought about this scenario, and I obviously you could tell I spent some time, I actually used it in a talk that I gave in a workshop as an example, but that, okay, is someone going to buy a car because of this heat scarf? That's not what, they don't go out looking for it because they probably don't even know it exists. But I could imagine a couple in a dealership saying, and so let's say it's they're looking at a Mercedes convertible and they they say, uh, what is that? It's a heat scarf. I don't know. What is that? Oh, okay. So, well, that'd be nice when we go out to the mountains or I don't know, whatever mm-hmm. they say. And then one of the part one of the spouses says, Yeah, I don't think the BMW had that. So that's kind of it's just another reason for them. It's a sticky thing that makes people go, huh. So it could make a difference, but but it's certainly not a big game changer. But to your point about there's an app for everything, one of the funniest things that I and I, I haven't gone shopping for it recently, but so I'm doing more talks and I bring my own um, wireless slide clicker because I want to make sure there is one and the batteries work. Right. And they make these things with, you would hope that there's a forward button and a back button, right? But there's all kinds of buttons on there. There's the laser pointer, which is fine. I'll give them that. But then there's a volume control. There is a cursor button. There is something that if you press the button, it goes to a black screen, so the the, the, point, the reason I'm saying that is when you're a speaker, you're not trying to hit the wrong button. So if there are 12 buttons on it, the odds of you hitting the wrong button are very high. And it's just interesting to me that we we do tend, I'm going to guess if they, if the next wave of, you know, wireless clickers for presenters is going to be a little bit more simplified. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just the, I haven't yet hit the wrong button because I'm so paranoid. But <laughs> the, the, again, the odds of doing that, making a mistake, just because they wanted to add more features to it. Yeah. Well, hopefully the forward and back are at least like bigger or more pronounced or something. I was just going to say that, that you would think that they are gargantuan, like <laughs> sort of the Fisher-Price version of like, no, they're not. They're, they're a little bit bigger, but not bigger enough to, yeah. make, to make mistake-free. So let me ask, Bob, your background is in marketing, and that's the focus of most of your listening efforts. Are there other disciplines or areas of a business that you think are particularly well-suited to put some of what you do into practice? Yeah, I mean, so the definition of marketing in this example, you know, with my background, so if you look at marketing strategy as being, if we can as profitably as we can sell uh, something people need to the right audience, and do it in a repeatable way, then that has some components that relate back to this. You have to know what they need or what they what their problem is. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, you don't. That's why you don't ask people what do you need. You say, you, "Tell me about yourself. Tell me about your day. Tell me about your routine. Tell me where you get hung up. Tell me what you'd like to be doing better." So those are the kinds of things you would you would want to know. 
So that's kind of marketing. Some people refer to it as marketing with a capital M. Other people think of marketing as just getting the word out. So, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Chief Marketing Officer, you need to get us some more publicity. You need to send out more emails. You need to do more webinar, whatever it is. So this helps with capital M and little m. And big a capital M includes product because you're, you have to build something that's that you believe you can sell at the right price. So I, I gave a, a workshop recently, and it was great because I, I actually listened and learned a few things. There were, you know, sort of the people, two folks of the seven or eight people in the room were chief operating officers, and it was a peer advisory group. And one of them said afterwards, I think I can use this not for external customers alone, but for my internal customer. I said, as I want to do, I said, what do you mean? Tell me more about what, you know, because I'm thinking, well, it's another thing I can talk about. And he said, um, yeah, I mean, when I look at the questions that you that you recommend using and the listening approach, if I say to, you know, if I'm a if I'm the head of marketing and I I want my sales is my internal customer, you know, in part. Mm-hmm. So I can ask them a series of questions to understand what the world looks like from their perspective and either develop or fine-tune the approach and the priorities we use to support that. But just the act of listening to an internal customer, doesn't matter if it's the CFO talking to customer support, what don't you like about the billing system? You know, it could So it could be uh, omnidirectional emanating from any point in a, inside of a company, mm-hmm. um, this sort of internal listening to your internal customer. The other kind of use case that came out of it that um, one of the other participants was excited about was employees and prospective employees, listening to them. Just go in, don't, again, we all start with our pitch. We're a great place to work. We have all the benefits. We have a, you know, a charming, comfortable work environment. We have a 401k. That's great. But is that what people are looking for right off the bat? Well, I read a millennial study that says they need that. That's fine, but go go listen to people, you know? And um, so she was very excited about going and using the same kind of approach for employees, which makes sense for, you know, most of the businesses in this area are in some sort of talent war, you know, depending on what they do and what type of people they need. They're just, there are shortages of certain types of folks that... Um, so, so you have to invest in listening to that audience too to find out what they want. Mm-hmm. So let me ask, I want to ask you to reveal all of the secret sauce here, but what are a few things you do with clients to really get to know their customers and their elevator rants? Interviews, lunches, happy hours, Amazon gift cards? <laughs> so there's one giant approach that I use and recommend. When I say giant, I mean that there's one sort of pillar of what I do. Mm-hmm. And it is a series of human-to-human conversations by phone, actually. And I'll, you know, I, if you if one of us reminds each other, I'll come back to why by phone. That, uh, you know, and sort of this one-on-one conversation. So it's not an interview, it's not a survey, but the person who's asking the questions, let's say it's the CEO of a mid-sized company who just feels like, hey, you know what, we've kind of plateaued. We, we seem to sound the same as a lot of our competitors. I'm going to just go out and I'm, I heard this guy, Bob London, on this great podcast from Three Pillar. I'm going to go do this. He or she is going to go just set up phone conversations with a minimum of five, but hopefully 10 decision makers that are either existing customers who know, they, they know that company really well, or 
their prospects or suspects that are in the target audience. Uh, they fit the target profile, but they they don't really don't know much about the company. Mm-hmm. And that's called a listening tour, whatever you want to call it. I, I have to think of what to call it actually, but it's a it's a it's kind of a listening campaign. And the other things, some of the other things you mentioned. I mean, I think it's fine and great for companies to do surveys, happy hours, which is you know something you mentioned on the list of things. That's great, but I I think that if you want to signal intentional listening, the best way to do it is in a one-on-one setting because then there's no group effect, group think, kind of group chat effect where people are, you know, there's one strong personality or voice in the room who's kind of overriding everybody else. Mm -hmm. The one-on-one aspect really gives people the feeling that not only am I listening or that a CEO is listening, but that that there, there's an opportunity to to follow what they're saying and go in the direction they want to go without any distractions, interruptions. And I I really do feel like sometimes they, they're, they're talking as though they're in a confessional. I always joke that when I hear someone on the other end of the phone saying, um, hold on, Bob, let me go close the door. I go, I go into like my little touchdown celebration dance. <laughs> you know, that's great because I know I'm going to get something, not that it's private or proprietary, but that they've, there's, I imagine them, and this goes back to the phone thing. They're not sitting across from me wondering why I'm not making eye contact. I'm taking notes. They're wondering, you know, are they obligated to validate my parking? You know, when it takes a lot of time to set up a face-to-face meeting, and it's uh, it comes with its own, you know, uh, baggage mm-hmm. and and overhead. The phone, they're alone, and they really do, I think, feel like, or I get the sense that they feel like that they are thinking hard, and and part of that is the questions that are a little bit disruptive to their thought patterns that you, you know, you don't ask typical questions like what keeps you up at night. You ask what's on your whiteboard right now. Like what are the three things you and your team need to get done? Um, and then they, you know, Oh, all right. Well, that's a question I haven't been asked before. So I need to think about it. So just going back to your, you, you know, your original point, I, that's, that's what I preach is the series of one-on-one conversations there are, of course, many ways to gather input, and I think um, a lot of them have. You know, there's another example, and it's not. It's it's no less time consuming than the listing is. Go out and um, watch people use your product or service in action. What do I mean? And this is something I'm sure Three Pillar does. I believe I've talked to folks here who do this, but look at what the users are doing. You know, how much time are they spending on this particular set of you know, functions or instructions, or are they skipping the feature that we thought was the big home run feature? You Mm -hmm. know, just observe. You don't even have to ask, just observe. I've done that with clients on a um, sort of a webinar type thing where you let, you know, there's a software as a service product and um, just give them the keys, give them some credentials to a kind of a sandbox, see what they do next, you know? And that's, and then... In that instance, you can, at the end of it, you say, you know, I noticed when you got to this decision tree, you went this way instead of that way. Or I noticed you spent like 60 seconds on this one page. Is there, was there something there? You can get very rich insights that way as well. Yeah, definitely. Especially in the product, software product world. Sure. Yeah. Usertesting.com is a great resource that I've I've used a little bit on our website. You can, you know, ask people to try to find out what kind of company you are. If you do mobile development work, you can feed them prompts basically and then see how long it takes them to accomplish a task and sometimes right. it's it's eye opening like man i was hope i was not i was hoping it would not take them 2 minutes to find our mobile development work uh 
But anyway, a, a good resource for folks out there. If I could just add on to that for a moment, there's a there's a theme that I I see, and I think we all would agree that we're all in a tremendous hurry to get where where the product needs to be or where the serve you know to to hit hit quota. A lot of times it takes companies to get to a pretty painful place before they go, yeah, we're willing to try this listening thing. I guess I, I, I make the point that human-to-human conversations, first of all, it doesn't take that long. I mean, it's, it might be a five to 10-hour initiative between the time you start deciding who you're going to talk to, complete the conversations, and look at what you've heard and kind of analyze it. But people, don't, people perceive that it is a, um, well, we don't have time for that. Really? We don't have time to find out what people really think about and how their job works. Or we've done that already. Well, how'd you do it? Well, we talked to a few, you know, prospects who are in the target audience. Okay. So I would just say that with with a little bit of investment in time and not much money at all, it can keep everything on the rails for months and years instead of going off the rails very quickly. Yeah. And and on that topic or on that front, is there a a frequency with which you recommend these things happen. You 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 mentioned, you know, oh, yeah, we we've done that, and I'm thinking about us, right? We've we've done some of these things. It's been a while, right? It's been a number of years. So, how often do, do you need to do listening tours for that, and for those insights to remain viable? I mean, I'm sure it depends from company to company. Yeah, I mean, I I I think that every company, and I don't expect this to happen, but I believe that every company should do it once a year. Mm-hmm. For no reason. And what I mean by no reason is don't wait for there to be a problem. And you say, well, you know what? We better get out there again. Like when's the last time we really asked people what's going on in their world? Realistically, it the process, as I mentioned before, usually starts because there's a problem or an opportunity. Some companies go through, they say, well, we're going to rebrand. Like we're we're getting real, we're growing really fast. And I had a, a services company like this that, I mean, they've been on the Inc. 5000 list multiple times and they're they have not, they don't have a problem with growth. But they felt like they wanted to become less of a collection of the partners and more of a brand, a branded entity, which would help them in marketing and recruiting and selling. That's a trigger, right? Is you say, well, this is a great opportunity for us to go out and talk to people and find out what they think we do great, what 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 they think we're great at, so that we don't end up sounding like all things to all people. And how does what we're great at align with what their elevator rant is about consulting firms or services firms in general? But a lot of times companies wait till the point where it's something's showing up in the numbers. And, you know, but, but I would always say just because there's a, a problem with sales doesn't mean there's a problem in sales. I feel badly sometimes for salespeople that are hired and given nothing more than a really lame elevator pitch and some collateral that looks and feels just like the competitors. And they're supposed to go out and just on their own charm and wits and hard work and who knows what else, um, convince people to give their product or service a try. It's really up to the the CEO and and marketing and the other rest of the leadership team to kind of set a course that makes it easier to sell, right? It shouldn't be so easy, so difficult to sell and prospect and market. I mean, in marketing, we celebrate, you know, a 15% open rate on a campaign and by the way, a 1% or half a percent click-through rate. And so there are two problems with that. One is obviously you're wasting money talking to the rest of them, and 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 then the 85 percent that didn't open it, some of them are annoyed. Like, why am I getting this? You know, it's not relevant to me. Mm-hmm. And so the, the 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 main purpose of this is to sharpen and optimize and maximize all the investments we make in our business to kind of get the word out. 
by making, if, if we put out a more relevant message and a more relevant and kind of, you know, more refined, sharp value proposition, you know, people perk up immediately if it applies to them. And if it doesn't apply to them, they can quickly decide and you don't waste three meetings trying to demo something in front of them that they'll never buy. Yeah. So let me ask, you mentioned whiteboards earlier. Yes. And we're surrounded by whiteboards here at Three Pillar, even in this very studio, whiteboard walls. <laughs> and from from some of the writing and talks that you've done, it sounds like you're not necessarily a huge fan of whiteboards. So why do you recommend that sometimes people break out the lighter fluid and burn the whiteboard? And as a follow-up, uh, what are the five questions you think everyone should ask their customers? Oh, boy. <laughs> First of all, I don't know what you're referring to. It must be a different Bob London. Um, <laughs> no, I, I use the whiteboard as a metaphor for something that is corporate, uh, not in a positive way corporate, as in, yeah, we're kind of in our little ivory tower, number one. And number two, internal brainstorming. So whiteboards are, can be perfectly fine, uh, but I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather be sitting with a customer or a prospect with a whiteboard. So when I'm, when I'm talking about burn the whiteboard, which is the title of, uh, of a talk that I give, the, the subtext of that is get out of the building and ask your customers and prospects these five questions. So it's really a metaphor for don't gather around the right board, get out and start talking to real humans. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but, but just to be clear, and I don't want all the whiteboard manufacturers and the, <laughs> what's that horrible spray and that, uh, that they, you know, those, those markers. I believe expo? people, yeah, expo, the people that like to have, whiteboarding, you say, hey, five o'clock, we're having a brainstorming session at, you know, in the whiteboard room. Great. I think those people that call those are actually secretly addicted to the smell of the dry erase <laughs> markers. That's why they want to have so many whiteboard, whiteboard meetings. The, here are the, so, so there, there are questions and, you know, and I, I can repeat this at the end, but you, you mentioned something before in one of your questions that I forgot to address. You said something about this, the, the secret. None of this is secret. It's, I'm, I'm out to change the world in some way where, you know, that more people embrace the concept of listening, which has the effect of reducing the noise level in the marketing and business world. So I, I am open sourcing everything I do. So there's an ebook on my website, chieflisteningofficers.com slash free. And there's an ebook that talks about, it gives all the questions, it gives the listening approach, it gives the, the entire process is covered in there and it's very short and it doesn't have a lot of fluff in it. It doesn't have any fluff in it. All right. The, the perfect kind of marketing. Uh, that's right. <laughs> so I mentioned one of the questions before that I like to start off with, what, which is, um, so, so tell me what your priorities are for the next year to two. And, uh, you know, so in other words, if you're, let's say someone says, okay, we need three updates from you for the next board meeting, or let's say you're meeting with the board. What is, what are those high level things that the company is focused on? Not just your department, but the company. And I, I get, again, if they don't have any you know, relationship directly to the board, you could say, well, what, tell me, tell me what's on your whiteboard right now. You know, another thing I've said is if I stop someone in the hall and ask them um, what they're working on, it should fall into probably one of three bu big buckets in terms of mission and priorities. What, what, what should they be saying? So I have all these ways to come at it from the side and, and, you know, get them talking and thinking. And again, the goal is not for them to give a survey answer. The goal is for them to think and say, okay, well, here, here it is. So that's the first thing. The second thing gets into, okay, for those three priorities, for the organization at large, 
what part of that do you own? What do you roll up to and what are you trying to accomplish? And then you get a sense of what the world looks like closer to their kind of, the, you know, right up, right up in front of them. And then the next question is, okay, great. Now, what do you wish you were doing better in any of those areas? And that's where you start to get into the, you know, what keeps you up at night, pain point type thing, but in a way that is just much more conversational. And again, speaking from experience of having about a thousand of these conversations with decision makers, you know, from director of um, DevOps uh, up to CEO, um, I had the pleasure of conversing with the CFO of the Carlisle Group, you know, a year ago or so. And all these people want to help. So they end up talking a lot, you know, and revealing a lot. Um, so then, then you get into, so that's kind of the, their level set about what their world looks like from their perspective. Then you get into, so let me ask you, does our industry have a reputation, good or bad? And it's like, what do you mean? Well, you know, if you walk by a trade show booth or if you get a cold call from someone in our, who's in our industry, whether it's us or not, and they, again, they will give you a pretty unvarnished view of what they really think because they don't feel like they're saying it about your company. They, they're giving you an industry perspective. Now, why is this important? Why do we want to open that Pandora's box of, you know, what do you think of our industry? Because those perceptions and preconceived notions exist, number one. So if, it's some, if they say something and you're guilty of it, you have to fix it. Once you fix it, though, more importantly, you have the opportunity to position yourself against the rest, what, what is disliked about the rest of the industry. This is a hugely powerful portion of the conversation because what you're really finding out is, hey, instead of doing it like everyone else is doing it, why don't we think about doing this one thing uh, differently? And by the way, it happens to be the thing that people are annoyed with. And that, that's a formula for, again, making marketing and selling a lot easier because if you lead with the thing that you do well that other companies uh, don't do or that do and is annoying— uh, it just makes the conversation advance so much more quickly, uh, the sales conversation. The, the greatest example of this that I've come across is in 2012, T-Mobile uh, brought on a new chief executive named John Ledger. Not John Legend, the singer, but John Ledger, L-E-G-E-R-E. And just in short, the whole industry was talking about running hundreds of millions of dollars of ads on our network map is so great, it covers 99.87% of Americans. And then there was another company, AT&T and Verizon. The other company would say, yeah, our network map covers 98.21%, but it's more dense in the urban area, you know, whatever they said. And you would think that, that that's what people were concerned about, consumers. when they, How do they choose a wireless carrier? Well, it's all about the map. Because if AT&T and Verizon are advertising that, then it must be important. John Ledger, wouldn't have, he, he just didn't assume that. He put on a headset and plugged into the T-Mobile Customer Support Center and just listened to what people were really saying. And they did have a gigantic, to use my term, elevator rant. It had nothing to do with the network maps or call quality where T-Mobile was not strong. They hated contracts in 2013, 12. They hated being held hostage by wireless contracts. So T-Mobile said, John Ledger said, we got to change that. And the people around him said, why? Everyone does it that way. You can't do away with contract. And that's the point is if people hate what everyone does, do it differently. T-Mobile has been the most successful wireless carrier. They're not the largest. They went from number four to number three, ahead of Sprint. But they are the most profitable and successful in terms of customer acquisition and growth uh, for the last five years. So it wasn't just sort of a quick hitting, hey, we got a bunch of customers by eliminating contracts. 
they, they kind of upset the entire industry because once they did it, the other carriers had to follow suit. And so they became, um, just through listening, just through listening, they became, they, they became highly acutely aware of what people didn't like about their industry and they changed, they changed it. Yeah. Yeah. To, to great success. Great success. So there's one more question I want to share with everyone that is, I refer to it as the killer question. Um, the question is, what would make you a customer for life? And customers and prospects are so taken aback by that in, an, in a good way. First, they, they almost universally say, huh, that's a, that's a good question, which means that's a signal that they're going to think about the answer. And then sometimes I'll add, you know, figuratively or literally, what would make you a customer for life? But you know what they say? They say, you know, no one's ever asked me that. That's a, that's a good question. No one's ever asked me. And I, I guess I, I always um, use this opportunity to scold companies at large by saying, you probably want customers for life. And here you are not asking decision makers what that looks like from their point of view. The beauty of the question is, and if, if I could only ask one, this would be the one, a customer for life. The beauty of the question is they start to think about filling in the gaps between the experience that they get and the experience that, would, that they'd really love. And that's where some of the best insights come from. So if you could only ask one question, go out and say, hey, what would make you a customer for life? Yeah. So one more question for you, Bob, and then we'll let you go put on that heat scarf. It's a beautiful fall day out there. <laughs> like most things in life, listening is a learned skill, and it's not one that many of us seem to excel at in the era of social media where everyone has a megaphone. What are the critical listening elements you think are necessary for people to become excellent listeners? That's, that's a really good question. I think that the mindset, that has a couple components to it before, like if you're not going to have this, the following mindset, don't even bother going out and listening. So try to remove your biases. Okay. You may not be able to remove them before the call, but because you don't know when they're going to kick in, but you have to be aware during these calls that if something kicks in, you have to resist the urge to just take notes on what you're hearing and drill down on it. Don't skip something or push back on someone because if someone says, well, here's the issue we really have. And you don't say, you wouldn't, you would never say, of course, well, we've tried to fix that and it's really hard. I mean, you don't owe them any answers at that point. You're just trying to hear them. You're, so, you're listening. You're listening. Yes. The authenticity and curiosity aspects are critical. What do I mean? I'm fortunate. I'm, I guess, a curious person. And so I have questions and I, you know, I like to listen to the answers. I'm not asking the question just to get to my next question. And I think if, if, if the curiosity piece is there, and if you can get into that mindset, like, I really want to know. I'm not just asking, uh, yeah, I want to grow my business, but I'm asking because I really want to know what's going on on the other side of that wall of noise. So the curiosity, the authenticity, what does that mean? It means that you're not, and I heard this the other day, that you're not just asking to get the questions out of the way so you can open up your PowerPoint and start pitching someone. The authenticity, and this is, I think, why, so there's an email template that's on my website as well that, that, that I've used to invite people to participate in this process. And about 80% of the people who get the email end up doing the conversation. Why? Because the email is authentic. It doesn't, it, it doesn't try to sound like a marketing thing. It just says, you know what, things are going well here, but we, we're trying to kind of 
live, this ethos that, you know, we never know everything there is to know. And so we'd love to talk to you of just as a human being and as a customer to find out what the world looks like from your perspective. So things will keep going well here. And there's something about it that comes across as authentic. And, and I think the last thing is just the unfiltered nature of, of these conversations. That's why my, my dream would be that every CEO does this, because there are a lot of layers between if you assign it to someone. There are layers, filters, potential biases, resentment <laughs> that could be in the mix because someone is asked to do this as opposed to the CEO who has the most to gain or lose by not doing it. And because if you look at the John, John Ledger example, he could have, I mean, it would have been totally acceptable and normal for him to assign to the chief marketing officer, I want you to go listen to these calls and tell us what you hear. That chief marketing officer might have delegated it to a director of something or other, you know, or maybe they had someone in charge of voice to the customer who, with all due respect to that, I mean, that's a very important role, but it has limited impact and authority. So the unfiltered nature of this, I, I think, is really important. Asking open-ended questions, let people go where they want to go in the conversation. So you can drill down and maybe redirect a little bit, but you don't, you certainly never correct them and you don't interrupt them to make your point. So those are the kinds of things you have to do. It's, it's really the opposite of a sales conversation in some ways because you never get to the thing you're pitching. You never get to it. You may be tempted, but you, you're, you can't go there. You cannot go there. It poisons the entire process. Yeah. Well, so you won't sell it, but I will. Chiefliseningofficers.com <laughs> is, uh, is the website where folks can go. They can find uh, a, a free ebook, many of the videos, blog posts, anywhere else people should be looking out for you. I do, I'm doing more uh, speaking and talking, uh, a lot of which is here in the Washington, D.C. area, but spreading out a little bit. You know, I'm really evangelizing. I'm investing a lot of time to let people know how important this is. And I'm, as I said, because I'm open sourcing it, whether they hire me or not is beside the point. It's really to get this message into the hearts and minds of as many people as possible so they can, I guess, really just kind of stop making so much noise before they've listened to what's really important. Yeah, very nice. What's well, an important mission. Thank you for sharing it with us Thanks. today. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. This is really cool. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Our pleasure. All right. The Innovation Engine podcast is brought to you by Three Pillar Global, a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. Head to www.3pillarglobal.com to learn more about our services. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and Google Play to ensure that you never miss a new episode and head to 3pillarglobal.com slash podcast to receive new updates about our show and read the full show notes and transcript of each episode. Don't forget, we also have an app for our Three Pillar Podcasts. Just search for the Innovation Engine on the App Store.